Here we go, off and running. Uh, January 21st, 2018, lecture discussion number eight on the book of Joel. And well, 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 I have the usual large pile of seemingly disparate pieces that has accumulated to the point of no return. In other words, uh, well, not quite. I still have a chance to take care of some of it. There's still a remote thin chance, I guess, that I can reverse it, but not much. And this is, of course, what I try to do every time I enter a lecture series. I do not want to leave anything behind, but it gets to the point where it's impossible to disseminate it all in a fashion that makes any sense at all. As I pointed out a while back, I have a discursive approach to things as it is. Some would say chaotic or random. I would like to think philosophically as uh, I am aware that that's a little bit more complicated. Uh, while I'm stalling, Bill the uh, cow brought me this profoundly uh, appropriate today uh, cup. Anything less than immortality is a complete waste of time. Oh, how brilliantly said. Perfectly said, as a matter of fact. So whoever did that, uh, I'm stealing your stuff, whoever you are. And who did you say uh, that's a quote from? Oh, is that right? Oh, so that's a cartoonist. He must be stealing my stuff then and not the other way around. But let me repeat that. Anything less than eternity is a complete waste of time. So he said immortality, which is, as you know, completely. I didn't do that on purpose. Now I did. I didn't know it annoyed you as much as it should. Okay, I just wanted to bring that in. But anyway, the point of it is, is that I have a, a lot of material here. I, I need to, it's my routine or my, I have an attempt to get people to lower their expectations about what we're going to be able to get to. Uh, and eventually, though, it just gets to the place where I can't deal with it. And that's kind of where we are today. So by no return, what I mean is, is it's become necessary to start calling the heap. And some items are going to remain, remain neglected. I realize that uh, um, is disconcerting and frustrating, but it cannot be helped. And I am left with regret. I know you don't think so. Every time it happens, there just isn't enough time to expedite all the subjects that rise up. And I had to become content with just mentioning them. And I have become content. I have reconciled my frustration with only being able to go so far in my life. So today will be the day that I'm going to make a meager attempt, my usual meager attempt, to dispatch a few of what I considered the most treasured of those subjects that orbit the book of Joel. And I've been mentioning them, mentioning them, but I have not been addressing them today. I'm going to try to do some of that so you'll understand the process a little bit better. These are things that apply to Joel, but they're in the periphery, if you will. They're at a greater distance. They're orbiting outside of the, uh, of the magnetic field. How's that? Of Joel. But they really are there. Here's one right off the bat. For example, Joel is a prophet. That's a big deal. Joel writes Prophecy. His writings are prophecy. Prophecy has a requirement by definition. Prophecy has to identify an occurrence that is a future event. Someone has to reveal, must reveal to Joel an event that is beyond Joel's time. And Joel has no independent capability. In other words, there is no prophecy that originates with the prophet. You can make the exception, if you will, that uh, John was taken outside of time and shown the tribulation. Well, John had no capability of taking himself, no independent ability to do that. He had to be pulled out of time by the absolute observer or God himself. So, uh, again, let me repeat, the prophets that we call prophets have no independent capability. They have to be augmented. They have to be supported. That's where they get their prophecy. That is why if it is not true, then it is a lie. How's that for profound? 
which means that you ignore people that lie about prophecy. They lie one time about prophecy, you ignore them forever. They've disqualified themselves. Some people will say, well, what about Balaam? Again, Balaam had no capability outside, or no independent capability. Okay. Two such examples in Joel are, of course, his references to Revelation 9, the woes of Revelation 9, and the, and the tribu- tribulational occurrences. So we'll just throw a couple of those on the board for you. Joel uh, 3.2 is Matthew 25. Matthew 25, um, 31 through 46, is sheep and goats. Or goats and sheep, you pick. How did Joel know about the sheep and goats? The sheep and goats are a, here is the age of the Gentiles. Here is the tribulational period. Tribulational period has a midpoint. It has all of that, right? Here is the 75-day interval. That is the sheep and goats. How did Joel know about the 75-day interval and what was going to happen in it? It is way outside of his time. Joel 3.20 is the millennial thousand years. How did Joel know about the millennial thousand? And he got it absolutely perfectly correct, both of them. How did he know that? That is a prophetic event. And it's almost 3,000, approximately 3,000 years in the future from the time that Joel wrote it from his text. And that, of course, is the point. Bill asked at the beginning, we have so many bills that I should identify them individually, but the more that I get, the more difficult that is. But um, Bill asked uh, before we began, is the one who observes the cat? Outside of time. And that's an interesting question, and we'll get to it in a second. There is an observer who observes the cat. Does that observer really make a determination? Who is deciding if the cat is alive or dead? I love that applause part. Now, those of you who do not go to the video on the internet, this is for you. You're on the, if you're, if you're watching it. Some people don't. They only, they're so weary of waiting for us to actually get the video on the, uh, yeah, what is it we go, uh, tube face, that they listen to the audio and then they complain to me that they can't understand what the cat's doing. It's not my fault. I could tell you whose fault it is, but I don't want to mention their name, Dave. That would not be polite or necessary. <laughs> oh, gosh, I have to get even with this person that may or may not exist inside or outside of time because he has access. Uh, he makes comments about me that I'm mostly unaware of. But you all love them, so we keep doing it, irrespective of the damage to my legacy. Now, there's a there's a joke that hardly anybody laughed at. How do you damage the nothing? All right, here we go. That's the point. The one who observes all things, the absolute observer of all things, has to be, must be, outside of time. There you are, Bill. You showed up on page two. Has to be. There are other observers, but they are inside of time. There must be an observer that is outside of time. If the observer is outside of time, the absolute observer, the one who observes all things, therefore, by basic logical extension, the observer must be the one who created time. And thus the obvious questions start to come out. Why did Creator God create time? We're used to being in time. We can't understand that there wouldn't be anything but time. You have to think of timelessness. Why did he create time? 
More obvious questions. When did Jesus Christ create time? Good, I'm glad I got a smile out of at least two people. I want you to first note the interchangeability, the in- intentional exchanging of Jesus Christ and God. Those of you on the Internet, there is no difference. There's never any difference at any time between Jesus Christ and God. They are. There is a uh, congruency. There is a sameness. That is a basic doctrine of faith. If you don't have it, and it, trust me, many, many do not have a basic understanding of the deity of Christ. He says, you must believe I am, or you will perish. That's why I keep repeating it. And hopefully someday uh, um, it'll get through. I know it will. It won't be me. He'll do it himself. But those of you who smiled, you uh, notice the overt incongruity of that second question. When did Jesus Christ create time. That's a joke. Not really. It's actually a question that has a joke in it, which are my favorite kind. I used to ask it this way back in the day of teaching eighth grade science. I look around to make sure none of the people that were there are here now. All of those kids are 43 years or older. Yes, you think some, you know somebody? No. Well, that is an outstanding question. That's why I ask, when did he create it? What is the order of the creation of time? Time is a thing, isn't it? So he created all things. So I'm asking you the order of the creation of time. If it's not first, what are the, what are the implications? If it, if it is first, what are the implications? We'll get to that in a minute. Fantastic. Welcome to eighth grade science. Um, but anyway, those kids that if they were here, they're all 43 years minimum. A couple of them were 16, 17 years old uh, with modified birth certificates so that we could win junior high basketball. I'm kidding. But you know, those of you who have been in this city, that we had a 25-year-old win a state championship one year. Ah, Anyway, that's a long story. Guess who he beat? Never mind. I'm still bitter, but I'll get over it. I would say, what time, this is what I'd say to these kids, what time was it when God created time? And then, what is the purpose of time? Why does God keep time? Because he does. Or if you prefer it this way, what is Jesus Christ proving with time? He ha- He's proving something by Utilizing time by creating in the first place. What was before time? What is time made of? Where does time come from? That one I've already answered, right? It's really who. Who does time come from? But I want you to see that time has to be testifying of something, in this case someone. How does time then prove the, how does the existence of time is a better way to, to to explain it, attest to the person of Christ. What is the connection between the existence of time and the person of Jesus Christ? How does time glorify the God of creation? Because it has to. That's the purpose of it. That's its intent. Now, lately, I have been bludgeoning everyone with Schrodinger's paradox, illustrated by my wonderful, what do they call these things? Um, Physical devices that perform an, an, it is an illustration. There we go. A physical illustration. And I've been beating you to death with it and I had a wonderful comment. I just finally, I, I couldn't wait to write it in to use it. I had a wonderful comment that says, it would be more interesting. This just kills me. It's fantastic. I have to fortify myself to be able to even say it. It was so brilliant, and I wish I had thought of it. Now I will pretend that I do, but actually I'll give Dana credit. But I've been beating you up with it, and I know that it is difficult material. It's supposed to be difficult material. It can't be anything but difficult material. And, And Dana suggested, he said, it would be a far more interesting to everyone if you would just tell us how the cat feels, which is fantastic. Now, there is the paradox of the church. Don't you see that? It's either, uh, 
We have one side, and I will refer to them as those who think um, um, linear, lin, linear, linearly. Gosh, that was hard for the fat-tongued person to say. They, they, they think in a, item by item in a straight line, if you will. That's not how anyone really does it, but that's a general statement. Others uh, have more of an emotional approach to things. And so I am not presenting Schrodinger's cat emotionally. I'm presenting it uh, as it is designed by someone who had very little emotion, a physicist, uh, Schrodinger. So uh, how does the cat feel? That illustrates the church today. Does the church want to feel or does it want to think? Because typically when you are feeling, you are not thinking. That Ask any 16-year-old boy. Okay? So... I just love that. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It would be far more interesting in today's contemporary church, no question, if I would tell you how the cat's feeling being in the box and how you can feel like the cat. Because you are in a box, whether we know it or not. Now, the key component of Schrodinger's concept is the observer. So let's start writing this stuff thing down. I'm going to say that this observation effect the observe, observer. It's one thing to spell in your head. It's another thing to write while you're spelling. It's just not easy. This is the one that sees. The, this is the seeing aspect. And Schrodinger made sure there was an observation, a scene. And the one who sees reduces the superposed state of the cat. So the cat is either alive or dead until the observer sees the cat in a state. And then that, of course, reduces that cat. It That makes the cat alive or dead. So the observer makes the cat alive or dead, if you want to think of it that way. And I think that is absolutely appropriate, and I think it is important that that is discussed. I hope you'll see why. Schrodinger rightly understood that an intelligent agent was willfully affecting determinancy, and that's what the argument was. He was arguing against indeterminacy. In other words, he said that everything could be determined. That was Einstein, Poldowski, and Rosen. Everything had locality. Everything had a determination about it. And all it had to be was discovered where the other side, the Copenhagen um, side of the argument, said, no, there is uncertainty. There is there is what appears to be randomness, but that can't be. And all of this argument went on. And any any event, superposition, the fact that this... A thought experiment had the cat alive and dead, and it was determined by an intelligent agent. That's a critical aspect of that, and Schrodinger was uh, was uh, absolutely correct and rightfully correct to, to put that in his uh, thought experiment here. Though he thought he was combating indeterminacy, it became ironic that, in fact, he was not. In fact, uh, I would say to you that it became the opposite of what he intended. Now, what is this really about? I have the coexistence of life and death. I have coexistence. They're both happening simultaneously. Or if you wish to think of it this way, I have a paradox where two things are happening and they seem to be contradictory. What does that make you think of? I hope it makes you think of the coexistence of the omniscience of God and individuality, our free will. So Schrodinger is discussing what the Calvinists and the Armenians have been battling over for centuries. Hyper-Calvinism that says there is no free will at all, uh, which uh, aligns them with the evolutionary people, evolutionary philosophy or monism. And the, then you have the moderates who say there is some aspects of free will. Then you have the others who say that God cannot affect us at all, that we can do anything we want. We have power to throw off his will. Anyway, after establishing the crucial, in my view, indispensable aspect of intelligent observation, 
including the construction of the box and the device. The intelligent agent had to construct the box, had to place the cat in the box. Schrodinger astutely and validly uh, included life and death and time. So here's what we have. I have an observer seeing, and then I have life and death in this uh, uh, event, if you will. Then I have time included, and uh, of course we have creative, creative action, including creating the cat. Now Schrodinger did not have that. He thought the cat evolved or became its own entity on its own issues. But that would, of course, be an error. So, to repeat, intelligent observation, free will, life and death, time, and a creative uh, factor here. And what Schrodinger, where Schrodinger introduced error, as I'm alluding to, was not recognizing that the cat is independently a living soul and was created as a living soul. Some people will say, what about Ecclesiastes 3? Ecclesiastes 3 is a rhetorical question. Uh, it actually is proving my point. If you don't understand that, I think there's lectures I've done on Ecclesiastes 3. It's also Genesis where cats are identified as living souls. Not specifically but they fall into the category. The words are identical to how we are described. Humanity is described. Schrodinger did not know that he was introducing error by not understanding the living soul aspect of the animal. But he should be forgiven, especially when he connected creative observation. He connected that because this has creative Observations, not just observing, it's creating all the elements in the box, and there's creative action there, and there's also observation. When he got that right, and then he knew that living and dying had to be part of this, and he knew that time had to be part of that, that's astonishing understanding for a physicist. That's a joke. Because he is deep, he is deep to his throat in philosophy and theology now. Now, so the question becomes then, how does this observer affect life and death and time? How do they interconnect? What is it proving? Let me rephrase the question. And the way I rephrase it may or may not be helpful. Uh, put yours money on not helpful. That's probably a good idea here. Maybe not helpful is the heavy favorite at beautiful downtown cliffside which I have to clarify almost now every time I say that, to avoid civil litigation. Cliffside is not beautiful. We are not beautiful. Uh, we're not downtown, and uh, we're nowhere near a cliff. For those of you who wonder about that, to repeat, ugly. Miles outside the city. Uh, think exilic. We have been exiled. Uh, we are on a hill, aren't we? We are on a hill. We're across from the zoo, pretty much, in case anyone was wondering about the smell here. So, <laughs> Okay. Where was I? Time is proving something. That's why he made it. Is he proving it to himself? No. Time is proving something to whom? Who is he proving something to? He's proving something to you. To me, if Mike was here, he'd be screaming, and the angelic realm. So how is time a device that proves something? Because those dims your choices, angels and humanity. What is God proving to us? What is Jesus Christ proving to us with time? What are the implications, if you want to think of it this way, the consequences to angels and humanity when we recognize that we're in a box and time is in the box with us? What are the implications? And life and death are in our box. Now, that's, of course, an event that occurred after creation. And we're unable to escape time, unable to see time as God sees time. 
What does that prove to us and to the angelic realm? And who, who do you think he's targeting primarily with the creation of time? Angelic realm. They went first. When did they figure out they were inside of time? What did it mean to them? Do you understand now why I'm beating you with Schrodinger? Here's the entertainment value of the lecture. It does, I think, six or seven different things. My favorite is that it just shuts the box off and tells you to get away from me. Because that's what we call teenage children. So there's an application, in case you think that I don't ever do anything applicational, which I rarely do. Let's back up a, a bit. How long is living? Huh? Yeah, see the cup, yes. You see how, how the cup fit in so beautifully today, huh? How long is dying? How long is time? How long is observation? What is the interconnection between living, death, time, and observation? I'm asking you, how, what is the length of all of them? Let's try another angle of attack. How long does living last? How long does, for how long does one die? Yes, ma'am. Excellent question. I didn't ask it that way on purpose, did I? For those of you on the Internet, she asked, how long does living last in the box? Which is an outstanding question. A for Felicia. And Father came through with an A, too. We have A's in the family here all over the place. My goodness. See, here, here to answer Felicia's questions, I'm, asking, I'm trying to filter you in. Uh, that's not the right. I'm trying to force you in. Uh, that's better. I'm trying to manipulate you. That's even better yet. Uh, uh, beat you with a stick into this direction. Be sure when you're talking about questions like living and dying that you are applying accurate definitions. You must apply the correct definition of life whenever you use the word life because you never do if you're like me. You, we always use the incorrect definition of life. Why do we do that as a church? We should never do that. We also use the incorrect definition of dying or death just for fun, which would be my exposition of fun or definition of fun. Which cat are we, you, me, and us? Let me say it better. Which cat state are we you, me, us, in currently, right now. Which cat state are we in? Are we in the dying state or the living state? Right now, today. I can't tell you that you ever have a present because you don't have a present. All we have is a future and a past. You've heard me say this many times. I can't get you to ever get in the present. Only God's in the present. And if you're in the present all the time as he is, then you're the I am. What state are you in now, I should divide the congregation. I can make you raise your hands. That's always fun, because never raise your hand here. How many of you think that you are in both states? Why are you raising your hands? That makes no sense. How many think that right now, currently, we are all in a living state? How many of you think right now, currently, we are all in a dying state as the terms are supposed to be? Well, that's both. You raise your hand twice. That's not fair. <laughs> see, you have to have the right definitions of the terms. Let's see if I can bring clarity for you. Who determines if you're in a living state or a dying state? Joel knows. He knows that it's here. Someone is going to observe you and identify you as either living or dying, either a goat or a sheep, to use the Matthew 25 uh, illustration. Who separates the dying from the living? Who harvests the wheat and tells you what? What does he tell you? What does he say? How come we can't harvest the, the, the wheat from the tares? He tells us don't even try it 
Why does he tell you? What does he say to us? He says, listen, you're, you're what? You're idiots. You don't know. You don't know who's living and who's dying. I am the one. I am the observer. How does it, how does he know? Because he knows everything. He's the one that determines whether someone is living and dying. It is his observation. It is his declaration. He is the one that says who is saved and who is lost. If you are saved, what are you? Living. If you are lost, what are you? Dying. Dead. Now, that is a fantastic thing. Are you dying? Are you dead? One is not present, or one is not past tense. What is death? How long is death? Remember that question? Does death ever end? So what is death? Would I be accurate to call it dying? Try again. It's okay to say anything you want about death or life as long as you know what the correct meaning is. You are allowed to make any uh, any statement effectively as long as you know. So let me repeat. How long does living last? How long does dying last? I think we'll all agree that both are declared to be what in the Bible? Eternal. Notice what the Bible has done. It's declared living to be eternal and dying to be eternal. Or if you want, life to be eternal and death to be uh, eternal. The dead are eternally dead and the living are eternally living. Are the dead without existence? No. Are they without consciousness? No. Understanding that death, as God defines it, is eternal and it has consciousness and it has existence, which, of course, is a redundancy. Consciousness and existence are demands of each other. Both are eternal. Life and death are eternal. So we've decided that life and death are eternal. How long is time? When did time become eternal? Has time always been eternal? Did time start? If it started, it has a beginning, which means it's not eternal. But how long does it go on? Eternity. When did God know you were living? Before he created anything. So he knew you were living before time. Now you're beginning. How about observation? What is observation? How does it fit in here with living death and time? And note again that the scripture is definite, absolutely definite. Uh, and the Bible is God's revealed word to us, his mind given to us, only a portion, albeit. But just again, the scripture is amazing. We take it for granted, but the Bible says as strongly as it can that life is eternal. And that death is eternal. People will argue about that theologically. You'll have annihilationism. And it's impossible for uh, annihilationists. It's impossible for it to be any other way than exactly as the Bible says. It's impossible. Life must be eternal and death must be eternal. That's why death is eternal. People will complain about that. I, I, I know that uh, the uh, that the those who believe insist on extinguishment and annihilationism, they are frustrated with what I just said, and I should apologize to them for in, for hurting their feelings. I don't know if the cat how the cat feels, or I would tell you. I would. I have a feeling. <laughs> That the cat has figured some things out. 
I know this because I'm positive that when the cat sees Christ, the cat will not reject him. So the cat has an understanding of its existence, an inherent one, just as we do. That's another complete lecture. God is eternal. He says that he is. He is the creator of time, and therefore, he must be eternal. If he is the creator of time, and time has a beginning, even the evolutionists will now say time has a beginning. They didn't always used to say that. They had a solid, or I'm a steady state uh, a universe, which meant quasi-steady state, which meant the universe has always existed. Now, they've abandoned that much to the dismay of many of them, because if you start to begin to say, Aha, there's a word there, begin, that time has a beginning or an origin of time, then you have opened the door for the creative agency or the creative intelligence, which is God. And they know that. That's why they wanted the universe to have always existed, because that eliminated God from the equation. But we now know definitively that time had an origin, had a beginning. And whoever created time has to be eternal, must be eternal. So what are the consequences to the angels and to men to know that the creator of time is eternal? How does that affect us? And we also now know that we are living souls, and therefore we must likewise be eternal. What are the consequences when you find out that you have eternalness? You have true existence. All that is at stake is whether you choose life or you choose death. It's a definition, or I'm sorry, it's defined by destiny, not by any other aspect. You cannot change your existence. We who accept the gift of Christ's blood, blood, are forever in a living state, a living condition. Every time God opens the box and you have the blood of Christ on you, you are alive. I was hoping it would applaud that, but it didn't. I can't control the cat. It has six six wills there. Who was it that I, I, I said last week that I was going to open the box nine times during the lecture? They thought that was brilliantly stated, but uh, at the same time, it was a horrible pun. Those who willfully reject the blood covering of Jesus Christ are forever in a lost, dying state. Every time God sees them, he sees them as dead. He's the observer. He can't help but be the observer. He observes all things. The words for death in the Bible are indicatory of wasteful, a wasteful state, a wasted state. That's what he means. When you are dead, you have become wasted. In other words, your life is a waste. He even tells you that, doesn't he? There are some of us who are saved. And our entire life and everything that we have done in this life will be burnt like you would burn really dry twigs, chaff. It'll just burn. But you're still saved. He describes the dead as completely wasted. Death is uselessness is how God determines or how he how he defines it. You are useless. The dead cannot and will not contribute anything of value. All of it is gone. So, how long does time last? How much time is all time? What does time prove? Time proves, right off the bat, eternity. Time proves the eternal. If God establishes time as his first act of creation, and he does, time is a thing, then it becomes obvious to the angels and to Adam that all of them are eternal beings. He wants you to know that you're eternal. You can't stop being eternal. You will always be eternal. He wants to hammer that in. Time proves that. Time proves existence. Because if you're eternal, you always exist. 
So the purpose of creating time is to prove existence. One of the, one of the things, one of the aspects. Time proves the eternal nature. To think about time is to think about eternal existence. I love it when people think about time. Hi, Jennifer. Existence cannot be revoked. Once it's given, it cannot be removed. What does that remind you of doctrinally? That's right. Note the similarity, the continuity to the doctrine of eternal security. That is why salvation is eternal. When you begin to see the connectivity between all of these pieces, you no longer have problems with silly doctrines that you can cast off your salvation. Because that's inconsistent with why he created time and what he's proving. Okay, moving along. How am I doing? Pretty good. Once again, uh, though, I'm moving, but the movement is hardly distinguishable from the stationary, and I know that. All of this discussion so far is to return to a previous topic. Remember this gentleman or lady, I'm not sure, uh, called themselves Desert File, asked a really good question. Uh, um, I doubt they'll ever listen to the answer that I give, but uh, who knows? Somebody else will ask it, and it's always the case uh, that it's valuable that because of that. Why, he asked this, or she did, why does your God hide from us, he said, or she said. And hopefully a few of you remember this from January 7th, which was lecture number six, Joel number six. And uh, I was just so, um, how do I put it? I was uh, one, I'm really glad, I guess, would be a terrible phrase. I'm not glad. I was thankful that he asked the question or she asked the question. But at the same time, there's a sadness here. Why does your God hide from me could easily be the question. And is more likely the question. And I got a phone message a couple of days ago. Jeffy from Pittsburgh. Hi, Jeffy. And he always provides thoughtfulness. He's somebody that uh, spends a lot of time thinking. Okay. Jeff noted that Christ, God, everyone's God. See, go back to Desert File. Why does your God hide from me? Well, he's Desert File's God, too. Everyone's God. Jeff noted that Christ hid himself from Judas and the Pharisees, pretty much all of Israel, the Romans. Jeff correctly returned to Christ's intention that Satan and Judas would deliver him to the Pharisees and the Romans. Christ, God, wanted to be delivered. That was critically important to him. Ask why is the fact that he hides have anything to do with his intention to be delivered by Satan slash Judas, that combination, to Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, and to the Romans. Christ is the light of life. He's the Shekinah glory. All he has to do, as you know from the Mount of Transfiguration, is show that. He's the light of life. Remember I asked you, I said, how come no one goes to the pound and resurrects cats? I know why they don't. Have you thought about it? Christ is the light of life. If he walked up on a dead cat, what would happen to the cat? Why doesn't anybody have a ministry of raising dead animals? No one does. Here, thousands of people testify that they raised a human being, but they never say they raised a dachshund. Why would anyone raise a dachshund, you ask? Uh, obviously, that's a that's a. I, I, yeah, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> My family has had dachshunds for years. My sister carries on the dachshund legacy of our family, much to her despairing 
consequence. Let me back up. Jesus Christ is the light of life. He's the Shekinah glory. All he has to do is reveal himself. And things are immediately changed, but he doesn't. He hides who he is. He's the seed of the woman walking in the midst of this corrupted creation. His creation that we have corrupted. How could we corrupt it? We must have some ability to corrupt it. We have done it. Does how does Where does that ability come from? Why do we have it? Jesus does demonstrate that he is the light that creates life. He creates all things. He did that at the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew 17, 1 through 13. Peter, James, John, Moses, and Elijah witnessed that this is the light of life. They saw the Shekinah glory of God revealed, Jesus is the one in the pillar of cloud, the bright cloud. They got all of that. They saw it firsthand. He did not hide it from them. Therefore, the obvious question flies up and smacks us upside the head. Why does he hide it from everybody else? What would happen if he didn't hide himself? That would be the question to begin to approach it from. What would happen to those who hate Christ if he revealed himself? Why does he wait? Why is he long-suffering? Did Judas Satan know why Christ did not reveal himself at Gethsemane? I don't think so. They caught on quick, but I don't think so. So ultimately, you begin to notice that hiding is mercy. Because hiding is providing a continuation of time. Time proves existence and loving mercy at the same time. Desert file exists. or she exists, that's a terrific gift. They will always exist. Why do they exist? Why did God want him to exist? Why does God want you to exist, me to exist, the cat to exist? What makes him want us to have existence? What character, characteristic, what part of his personality? Why does he give existence? (sighs) I don't have time. My goodness, how's that for a joke? Let me read it really fast. You get to see some of this played out in Deuteronomy. It's really astonishing. This Deuteronomy 31, uh, 14 through 18, I'll read it really fast. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. He says this to Moses, The days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in the pillar of cloud. So now you know who that is, Ezekiel will tell you who that is. And the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Christ said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them, and they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused. Now, please do not think he's like you. When he's angry, that's not the same as you're angry. You're angry. My angry is sinfulness. His is not. You wouldn't recognize his anger. You would try to anthropomorphize it, make it a human anger. It's not human anger. It is godly anger. You've never seen it in anyone. No one has it. But you have it. everybody has a tendency to think that God is capricious. That's just not true. They will forsake me, break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. Does he devour them? No. What does he do? He withdraws. He hides. 
What devours them? Who is the devourer? And many evils and troubles shall befall them so that they will say in that day, this happens so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. That's why evil. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done and that they have turned to other gods. (coughs) How much evil did they do? Lots of evil. Certainly with the focus being on God hiding himself from Israel, from mankind, we should notice the verses which explain why this hiding has happened. They're particularly pertinent. Notice the beholds right off the bat. Verse 14, verse 16. God himself. This is Christ speaking in his voice. Obvious questions immediately. How did the Lord, how loud did God speak? How loud did Christ speak? Who heard him? Just prior to, to this, God instructed Moses to write down the law up in Deuteronomy 31, the passages before. He said, write down the law. That's essentially, effectively, the the entirety of Deuteronomy. And he was supposed to read it. Every, they're supposed to, the priests are supposed to read the entire book of Deuteronomy on the seventh feast day every seven years, the sabbatical year. And Moses also, Deuteronomy 31:19, was told directly by God to write a song. Teach it to the children of Israel as a witness for God for me, he says. So he says, Write down Deuteronomy and read it every seven years on the feast day of Tabernacle. Here's a song. Sing it to the children. Because the children have to learn the song. For my sake. For me. Do it. It becomes obvious that the Lord God of creation has laid out a pattern. Write down and read the law every sabbatical year on the feast day of Tabernacles. And then he says, Behold, Moses must die. Call Joshua. The pillar of clouds there. Behold, the generation of Israel that left Egypt will not return to Egypt, but will forsake God, will forsake me, he said. And I will hide from them. I will hide my face. And Israel will be devoured because I have hidden. Evils will come upon them. And they will conclude. They will say evil has come because God has hidden his face. Why does he hide? Then God says, write down and teach this song to the children. Now, immediately you should ask the questions that are are extraordinary. First one is, Moses must die. Why must Moses die? Why does Moses have to die? Why can't Moses just hang around? What's the problem? Why is it imperative? It's He says, Moses, you must die. Why must Joshua be called? The order is precise. First, Moses must die. Second, we call Joshua. Third, the pillar of cloud appears. That's Christ. Moses, the prophet, Deuteronomy 18, 15, must die. The prophet must die. What are the phases or the offices of Christ? Prophet, the prophet must die. Then the high priest and then the king. Then Joshua, who's he's the military king, he's called. Jesus Christ appears in the pillar of cloud, see Ezekiel 126, at the door of the tabernacle. How exactly does Moses die? The Bible tells you he dies exactly how Aaron dies. Does that help you? Both Moses and Aaron die the same way. Moses was not dimmed. In any way or diminished, he had his natural vigor intact. He's 120 years. Death was not imminent. Nonetheless, he's taken by God to Mount Nebo, and God himself buries Moses in secret, hides the body of Moses. And then we have that contest between the body over the body of Moses between Satan and Michael, Jude 9. God hides the body of Moses. Do you think he hides the body of Moses for a reason? What's the reason? What does that have to do with God hiding himself? How does it all fit together? How does it explain the hiding of God? Uh, One item of great interest to me, and probably me alone, is this verse in the song. This is the song, Deuteronomy 32, 39. You're supposed to sing this to your children. All of you memorize this. Go home and sing it to your children. You ready? I don't know what the tune will be, what key it's in. I won't try to sing it. That's merciful. There is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. Who is he? 
He's the observer. I kill and I make alive. Do not fear he who kills the body. Fear me, he said. I can send the soul to the place of destruction. I wonder if Erwin Schrodinger knew about that song. Applause. Did he know that God identified himself as I am the one that kills and makes alive? And I realize answers are few today, mostly inferred, but I'll just pile on some more in two minutes. Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden and the entrance exit was blocked to prohibit access to the tree of life. God is stopping them from getting to the tree of life. Can they see it? Does he hide it from them? He did it to prevent access to the tree of life now that Adam and Eve were poisoned. They're in a dying state? Wait a minute, they're covered with blood. Define dying correctly. Prior to this being exiled from the garden, could Adam leave the garden? Hey, I think I'm leaving the garden today. So he walks out. Is there a gate? Did the woman leave the garden ever? They ever say, hey, let's go see what's on the outside of the garden. Or did they always stay in the garden? Could they get out of the garden? Did the animals, were there animals in the garden? How did the animals get in the garden? Did the animals ever leave the garden? If the animals left the garden, why did they leave the garden? If Adam and Eve left the garden, why did they leave the garden? If they can't leave the garden, why can't they leave the garden? Were the animals made outside the garden and placed in the garden because Adam was made outside of the garden and placed in the garden? Was Eve made inside the garden? Yes. Eve was never made outside of the garden. That's not fair. Were the animals made outside the garden and then brought to Adam so that he would name them? Or were they made inside the garden? Did the animals remain in the garden when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden? If you were in the garden and they got thrown out, you could see you. I'm staying in the garden. The garden existed all the way to when? When did the garden go away, if you will? In the Noetic flood. Do the math. That garden is there for a long time. Who's in the garden? Obviously, no humanity is. And I would say no angelic being could also get in there. How about the animals in there? Are there animals in there? How big is this place? What happens to the animals that are in there? What's happening on the outside of the garden? Murder, killing everywhere. How does God, how does he protect the garden? Does he protect the garden? Will he ever have another environment that nothing will die in that environment while death is going on all over the place? Where's that? Look up Basra. Where am I? Did animals remain in the garden when Adam and Eve were expelled? Raise your hand if you think the animal. Never raise your hands here, but if you thought about raising your hand, I'll look at you and tell that you would might raise your hand. By the expression on your face, if you're still awake. Did animals remain in the garden when Adam and Eve were expelled? Could the animals leave? Did they leave? While Noah was building his ark, were there animals in the garden? Were were there animals outside of the garden? What's the difference between the animals outside the garden and the animals inside the garden? The animals in the box, the animals out of the box. What's the difference? Quite some time ago, I had a whiteboard in my office. I had all these kinds of things on it. I just filled the board completely up. I'd add something that eventually the whiteboard is just covered totally with subjects. I don't know what happened to that whiteboard. I took a picture of it. I don't know what happened to the picture. The whole point of the exercise that we're going through is to find correctly the meanings of life and death. It's what this has all been about. Why is this necessary? 
Why do we have to correctly define life and death? The Bible starts out with a death instrument placed into the garden. Why was that necessary? That becomes necessary so that human beings and angels would have a correct definition of life and death. Do you have a correct definition of life and death? And finally, I'm going to end with this. I said it last week and I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I included it this week. Satan was condemned because of the testimony of two witnesses the first time in in Satan's existence that two people came up and testified that he was a liar and a murderer. And he was condemned on the testimony of those two witnesses. That's an important thing for next week. Do I have to play the banjo? Do I have to play the banjo? After, so I have to play the banjo. What separates, now I don't have to play the banjo. But after a period of time, I have to play the banjo. So I'm in a non-banjo state and a banjo state simultaneously with an element of time in it. Okay. Will the musicians please come forward?